Amen. You may be seated. Good to see all of you this morning. Good to have you here. Good to be seen. And if I, if I end up being a little bit more abnormal than usual, I apologize for that. It was one of these weeks that Lisa and I had that I'm sure you've had many of them in your life where you thought the direction of the week was going one way and it went a totally different way. It's all good. God was good through it all. I'm just a little on the punchy side, so apologize for that. Hebrews chapter 6 this morning as we continue our series through the book of Hebrews. While you're turning there, I will mention this now and then give you a few announcements at the end of the service. So next Saturday night, I'm meeting with the leaders of our church. And then on Sunday, I will be giving you the latest update that we have on the acquisition of the land. So I wanted to let you know, I know many of you have been asking what's going on with the property and all that kind of stuff. So we will give you an update, the very latest, next Sunday uh, at the end of the service. Uh, But I wanted to talk to our leadership on Saturday night uh, first off before I share those thoughts with you guys. So... I thought today, um, I usually don't do this, but I wanted to take the passage today and just read it and have you follow along with it. Um, But before we do that, I want to say this. I think as we've been now five or six weeks into this series in Hebrews, I want to go back and I want us all to be reminded of why the author of this letter was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it in the first place. Because that, that gives us a lot of sort of insight into why they're sharing the things that they're sharing with the recipients of this letter. So obviously it's written to Hebrews. It's written to first century Jewish Christians. Those who had said, no, you know what? Salvation is of Jesus Christ, and He is our Messiah. And therefore, we're going to leave the temple worship and all that that entails, and we are going to fully embrace Jesus Christ, and we are going to begin to follow Him. The problem with that is, is that as first century Jews, when they did that, they then uh, were automatically involved in very heavy persecution. They were ostracized from their family and friends. I mean, relationships that they had had all their life. People were like, well, if you're going to embrace Jesus Christ, I want nothing to do with you. We're done with you. You know, you're, you're dead to us, so to speak. We, we hear that kind of language even today in certain circles. That was what they were dealing with, is that people just walked away from them because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. And things were not easy for them, obviously. This put a lot of even extra hardship into their life that maybe even already existed in the first place. And so the author is inspired because a lot of these folks are getting ready to just say, I'm done. I quit. Uh, following Jesus Christ and, and embracing him and, and all that. It's too hard in the day and age in which we live. I have to pay too heavy of a price. There's too much of a cost involved. And I'm just ready to throw in the towel with this whole Christian life and following Jesus Christ. And I'm going, I'm going back. And of course, we've seen in the last couple of weeks, the author is saying, you really can't go back. What's back there? 
If, if you truly believe that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be, then what's back there? I'm not saying it's going to be easy to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but really the only thing for any of us to do is to keep following him. But obviously, their hope was on shaky ground. Uh, they, they, were, they, were, they were wavering. They were, they were rattled a little bit, and, and the author is trying to come alongside with the words that he gives, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and, and strengthen them and encourage them and support them. And so one of the things that he wants to talk about is the hope that we have that we just sang about as Christians. But even beyond that, and it, it just amazes me how months ago, because I put this together like this schedule six months ago, and that on this particular Sunday, we would land on this in, in the Phoenix area talking about safety and security in a time where the whole valley is fixated on the freeway shootings. So before I read this passage, here's a question for all of us today. Do you feel safe and secure? Because we, it's either one or the other. Either you and I as human beings who live on planet earth at any given time, either we feel safe and secure and believe that we are safe and secure no matter what's going on around us. Or we don't feel safe and secure. We have no steadiness, no stability, no security, no safety. We're, we're always feeling sort of vulnerable and sort of hanging out there. It's, it's one or the other. And every one of us in this room lands in one of those two camps today. And it would have been that case even if the freeway shootings in Phoenix weren't taking place. Because, again, we live in very troubled and turbulent times. I mean, you look at the refugee crisis now in Europe, and you look at the, the, the financial instability of the world, and, and you start to just look around and go, the world is, is so shaky, and it's so broken, and there's so much wrong, and no one seems to have any answers. And this is the troubled turbulent, distressing times we live in. And so the question is, no matter what, do I feel safe and secure? And obviously the people that he was writing to, they didn't feel very safe and secure anymore either. And so he really wants to bring them back and solidify them in their faith. And he does so with these words in this passage. I want you to follow along and begin reading actually at the verse we left off with last week, which was Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. He says, So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and perseverance inherit the promises. Now when God made his promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself saying, Surely I will bless you greatly and multiply your descendants abundantly. And so by persevering, Abraham inherited the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and the oath serves as a confirmation to end all dispute. 
In the same way, God wanted to demonstrate more clearly to the heirs of the promise that his purpose was unchangeable. And so he intervened with an oath. So that we who have found refuge in him may find strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us through two unchangeable things. Since it is impossible for God to lie. We have this hope as an anchor For the soul, sure and steadfast, which reaches inside the curtain and behind it. Where Jesus, our forerunner, entered on our behalf since he became a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The first thing that the author reminds us of is this. Notice twice here in verse 12... And then again, uh, in verse 15, he tells us that it is only by persevering that people inherit, obtain, or attain to the promises that God makes. Again, let me direct your attention back to verse 12. Through faith and perseverance, we inherit the promises. And then he uses, obviously, a very good example for Jewish folks when he brings up the example of Abraham. And he says about Abraham, that Abraham, by persevering, inherited the promises. One of the things we want to start with then is this principle. When God makes a promise, almost always... That promise is not fulfilled instantaneously or right away. Usually, it takes weeks, months, maybe even years to finally see the fulfillment of it. Therefore, let me use this as an illustration. If I, as a believer in God, have been given a promise, and I then take hold of Him, if you will, by His hand... And begin to walk in life with him. That God may have said to me at some point, here are the promises that I you know, want to share with you. And we love those promises. And so again, we latch on to God and we begin to walk. But at some point down the road, we stop walking with God. God will never let go of us, but we let go of God because we get to a place like maybe the first century Jews where our hope is wavering, where we are thinking about calling it quits, giving, it's too hard, all of the, whatever the motivation is, I let go of the hand of God and stop walking with Him. Then basically what the author is saying, did you realize then you'll never really see those promises fulfilled in your life? Because God, in His program, and the way He set this up, He requires us to walk with Him for extended periods of time before we will see the results and fulfillment of the promises that He gives us. Let me give you two examples. One is we're studying on Wednesday night, Joseph. Joseph was given a promise by God when he was 17 years of age. We just saw last Wednesday that that promise was not fulfilled until he was 30 years old. 13 years between the time of the promise and the time of... He had to persevere 
for 13 years in order to see that promise fulfilled. Abraham, the one that the author uses here, was given a promise by God of a son when he was 75 years of age. And it was not until he was 100 years of age, 25 years later, did he see the fulfillment of that promise. Perseverance. Remaining steadfast. Endurance. And so the author is saying, you can let go of walking with God, but you're going to miss out like any of these Bible characters did if they stopped following God and remaining steadfast and faithful to Him. Because much of what God promises us is not instantaneous gratification. About the only thing in the Christian life that's instantaneous is when you and I, in humility, bow before God and say, God, I recognize I am a sinner. Please come into my life, Lord Jesus, and save me. That's instantaneous. And God will come in and flood into our life and he will save us in a second. All we have to do is call upon the name of the Lord and we will be saved. But almost nothing else about our Christian life is instant. It takes us being willing to persevere, endure, and remain steadfast over the long haul to begin to see things happen in our life spiritually. Which can I say, just a a short side note, that's why much of the Bible today and even the church, if it stays true to the Bible, is not attractive to especially younger people today. And I'll even not be, you know, landing on just one category, but even many adults today. Because we have grown up subsequent generations after another in a world where everything can be obtained instantaneously without really working long or hard for anything. And so that the message of the Bible then is not going to be attractive. Because I can't in truth stand up and tell you, yes, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to get everything you want and everything's just going to fall into place just like that. It's going to be instantaneous. No, what I have to do to be true to the word of God as a teacher of the word is to say, you know what? It might be years before you find fulfillment. It it, it might take a long time before you start to see things. But God wants to see not who's just here for the short term, but who's willing to take him by the hand and walk a long time with God. And then over that time, because what God is also saying is, that time as we've talked about Wednesday night is never wasted time. That as we walk with God, God is building and growing us and stretching us and and all of these things so that when that promise is fulfilled, we are fit for it, we are equipped for it, we are ready for it. We can handle it, which is why he went through the whole preparation with Joseph and why he went through the whole preparation with Abraham. And by the way, I think specifically here, too, the author of Hebrews is reminding his readers of a story that they knew very well. And that was that Abraham one day was even approached by God, even after his son was born and said to him, I want you to take this son. And I want you to go to this mountain called Moriah and I want you to offer him as a burnt offering to me. And Abraham, the Bible says, obeyed. He gathered his son and 
a few supplies with a few servants, and they started off for Mount Moriah, which they said was about a three-day journey. Can you imagine what would have been going through Abraham's mind? Forget even the whole father thing. Think about this. Again, but, but God, you, you promised that a great nation would come through my descendants, and he's my only son. I, I, it, it doesn't make sense, God. This is counterintuitive, God. I don't understand this, God. But I will follow God. I will keep a hold of your hand. I will persevere. I will remain steadfast. I will remain true to you. Even though I don't understand it, God. And the Bible says he took his son, left the servants behind, took him up there to the mountain, prepared everything for the sacrifice, and was about ready to raise the knife and sacrifice his son when he heard a voice from heaven saying, Abraham. You do not need to sacrifice that young man. I have seen that you are truly fit and that you have proven yourself to be the father of a great nation. And that you have proven to me that you are the one through whom all the families on earth will be blessed through. Because you were willing to follow me even when it didn't make any sense. Because you knew what kind of God I was. And you even had concluded that even if I kill my son Isaac, that my God will raise him from the dead because God will be true to his word. And what God said he will do, he will do. And the author of Hebrews is basically telling us here in this entire passage, that is the only place where we can truly find safety and security in this very troubled, turbulent, ever-changing, unstable world that we live in. That if we are placing our faith in anything other than God, and if we are trying to find safety and security and steadiness in our life, other than in what God has said in His Word, then we will not feel safe and secure in this world. We will not have a steadiness or stability to our life because our life is going to be dictated to by the things that goes on in the world and all around us rather than on the things that are unchanging. And you'll notice as we read this, what the author is basically saying is you realize in the world in which you live that is always changing and where people are changing and you can't count on anything or anybody anymore that God is unchangeable and his word is unchangeable. So let's go back and take a look at this this morning and I hope that this will be an encouragement to all of us here today. Beginning in verse 13, when God made his promise to Abraham, which meant he announced ahead of time what he was about to do. He basically pledged his word. The Bible says he could swear by no one greater. Meaning, if he was to call someone as a witness, like maybe we'd, hey, can you come over here? I'm getting ready to pledge my word to someone, and I want to call a witness so that I'm accountable. Basically, the author says, well, God wanted to call someone who was of highest rank in the universe. Well, that's him. So he wasn't going to call a mere human being. He calls himself because he is the highest ranking being in the universe. Because he wanted to make sure that Abraham, again, in spite of everything that Abraham went through, was going to be assured 
that God was going to do what God said that he would do. So the author says, here's what God told Abraham. Surely or certainly. Again, God is saying, Abraham, there's not much in life you can be sure and certain about. But I'm going to give you something. My promise. You can always be sure and certain of the promises of God. Now again... It may take weeks, months, or years to actually see those promises fulfilled, which is why many people get disillusioned with God and following God, because again, God is not an instantaneous God, because God doesn't gratify His followers instantaneously the way we have sort of grown up to be here in the world. In the world, it's all about instantaneous gratification. We even grow up in in an age where, again... Even if I can't afford it, I can still have it instantly. So I go out and get it. I I do not restrain myself from anything that I want. That's the world in which we live. And obviously we have seen where that doesn't build character at all. And that's why God doesn't operate that way. But that doesn't mean that what God has promised isn't sure and certain. It's just like even the coming of Jesus. That promise was made thousands of years ago, and it's just as sure and certain today as it was 2,000 years ago when even Jesus said, if I go away and prepare a place, I'm going to come again. The problem is, as time keeps marching on, even those who claim to follow Christ, well, you know, is he ever going to come? Maybe he won't come. Maybe the world will just keep, you know, getting worse and worse. And we start to lose our hope. And we start to wane in our anticipation and expectation of God's word. Because the world and our flesh and even our spiritual enemy starts to chip away at the surety and certainty of how we view the word of God. Our confidence in God and his word begin to wane. And the author is saying to his readers, don't let your confidence and conviction of who God is and what God has said begin to wane in your life. For God said, surely I will bless you greatly and multiply your descendants abundantly. And again, then, he states, so it was only by persevering that Abraham inherited the promise. For then he goes on in verse 16 to say, for people swear by something greater than themselves. And an oath serves as a confirmation, a validation to basically guarantee something that ends all dispute, meaning all striving or controversy. It would be, again, like two people are in a conversation and one says, wait a minute, let me call a witness. Let me tell you this in front of someone else other than just you and me. So that there's no question, this is what I said, this is what I promised. That's what he's going through here. And so he says, for people swear by something greater than themselves, and the oath serves as a confirmation to end all dispute. So in the same way, God wanted... To basically prove, which is what the word demonstrate here means, more clearly to the heirs of the promise. More plainly, God went excessively above and beyond what he needed to do. To show, notice, that his purpose, his resolved plan that he had decreed was, don't miss this, unchangeable or unalterable. And again, that's important. Why is that important for us? 
Because again, we live in a world with other human beings where sometimes what they promise us, what, they, what their oath is, what they say they're going to do, they don't do. And maybe we even are like that at times, where we say we're going to do such and such, but we don't follow through or carry through with. Or maybe we get to a point where we say, this is what I'm going to do, but then we change our mind and we do something else. See, what the author is saying is, but here's why God is our safety and security. This is why God can be our stability when nothing else can. Because God never changes what he says. He never alters what he says. If he said something 10,000 years ago, and he says, this is exactly what's going to happen, then that's exactly what's going to happen, even if it doesn't happen for 20,000 more years. Because God doesn't wake up one day and go, well, that's the way I thought I was going to do it, but now I've changed my mind, I'm going to do something else. God's never going to do that with us. God's never going to say in his word one thing and then come back and change it and go, you know what, guys, I know that that's what you were counting on, but now I'm, I'm changing it. I'm, I'm going a different direction. God will never do that. He never goes back on what he has said. He never changes because he never changes. His word and what he decrees and what he's promised never changes. You and I don't have to worry like with other Well, I wonder if they're going to follow through. I wonder if they're going to be reliable and dependable and trustworthy. I wonder if the oath and the promises that they have made are really going to stick over the long haul. Because again, we live in a world where people make a lot of promises but never follow through with them. And what the author is saying is, but you never have to worry about that with God because have you ever found anything that God actually promised to do that he hasn't done? Have you ever found anything actually in his word that he said was going to happen and it wasn't fulfilled unless it is yet to be fulfilled? See, God has basically put his character on the line by giving us his word. Because at any time throughout history, if God said something was going to happen and it didn't happen exactly the way God said, then he's no longer God. And he doesn't have to be trusted or believed in any way. And this is what the author is trying to get his readers to see. Listen, I know it's hard right now. I know you want to give up. I know you want to throw in the towel. I know you're going through hard times. But everything God has promised you, you you've just got to keep holding him by the hand and walking through this as difficult as it is. Because to let go of him... always amazes me this kind of stuff that happens. That's no good. Because who are you going to go to and who's going to really be your safety and security and stability and steadiness in your life if you let go of God's hand? You're going to go to another human being? You're going to go to some human institution? You're going to go to something that never changes and is always true to their word? Other than God? And then I love this, because this applies to us as well. Verse 18. So that we who have found refuge, literally, who has taken our safety and security in what? What's those next two words? In Him. That's a real key of this whole passage. 
Where's your safety and security? Is it in him? Or is your safety and security in someone or something else? Have you taken refuge in God? Because if you have, then no matter what goes on in this world or in your life, you will feel safe and secure. But if you and I have not taken our safety and security in God, then it doesn't matter what we prop up around us. It doesn't matter what safety measures, or security measures that we add to our life. Nothing will make us feel safe and secure. It's one of two ways. That's why the Bible is filled with verses like this one. Proverbs 18.10, very familiar to many of you. The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are safe. Again, the name of the Lord embodying all that God has revealed himself to be. Or how about this one from Psalm 20 verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Where's your refuge today? Have you and I taken refuge in him? Now again, like with the Hebrews, that doesn't mean life's going to be easy. That doesn't mean there's not going to be hard times. But what it ultimately means is my safety and security is in my God and I'm just going to trust him. I'm going to trust in what he has promised me. I'm going to trust in his word. And I'm not going to get all wigged out about everything that goes on and everything that's going on and all of that. I'm going to wake up every day feeling safe and secure because I am in the hands of the almighty God of the universe. And I am enveloped in him. And I am surrounded in Him. In fact, even His Holy Spirit lives within me. And therefore, I do not live in fear. If God is for us, who can be against us? There is no force in this universe, no matter what or who it is, that should intimidate or cause fear in the child of Almighty God. And that's what the author is trying to get his readers to see as well. And I love this. He says in verse 18, So that we who have found refuge in him may find strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. You see, he's saying here, if you have found your refuge in God, If your safety and security is in him, then that means you're saying, okay, God, I'm waking up today and we're going to hold hands together throughout this day. And he's saying that every day you and I do that, God builds into our life this encouragement. That's how we find strong encouragement to actually keep a hold of this hope, this, this confidence in God, this conviction that God is true and will be true to what he has said, that God will do what he said he will do. That's hope. That's our hope. Our hope isn't in anything here on earth. Our hope is in the, the character of God And the surety of his word, that's where our hope is at. Because those things do not change. And so he's saying, 
to his readers, if you let go of the hand of God and you say, God, I got this, I'm going to start walking by myself. He says, you realize you're, you're truly giving up any steadiness, stability, safety, and security you could have. Because once you and I let go of the hand of God and stop walking with him every day, then we're going to start to be intimidated. We're, we're going to start to be filled with fear. We're going to start to have our lives filled with anxiety and stress and panic attacks and all these different things that come. Ulcers, high blood pressure. I mean, you name it. All these things, because we have left go of the only safety and security we're ever going to have in this world. And yet God is saying to each of us, Jeff, here's my mighty hand. Take me by the hand, Jeff, and let's walk together today. And you'll feel safe and secure with me by your side, no matter what you face. I can remember that even though many of you know my story about, I was a pretty big boy back in high school. But even before that, as I was growing up, I can remember as a seventh grader going up to the high school where my cousin played. And he was a big tackle on the high school football team. He weighed, even in high school, almost 300 pounds and was about six foot four, six foot five. And I can remember even as a seventh grader, though I was big for a seventh grader, obviously I wasn't as big as these big high school football players. And yet I can remember walking around practice with my cousin Kevin just saying, yeah, just, just try to say something to me. I got my cousin Kevin. He'll take care of any of you. Try to bother me. And I thought to myself, why did I have such confidence? Any of those guys could have broke me in half at that point in my life. It was because who I was beside or who was beside of me, who I was walking with. And God is trying to say, if you just walk with me every day, you won't live in fear. You won't be intimidated. You will feel safe and secure because the almighty God of the universe is going to walk with you today. And you will find strong encouragement to hold fast and not let go of my hand. Because he says, this hope is set. Notice, very important word in verse 18, set before us. In other words, the things that we hope for are destined to be done because God said they would. That's why, our, that's why we can have stability. Because I'm not basing my future or my life or anything on, again, anything that's changing. I'm basing it on the word of God and what he's promised me. And therefore, I know it's set. It may not have happened yet, but it's going to happen because God said it would. And no one in this world, especially us puny little human beings, are ever going to be able to stop what God said is going to happen. We can't do it. If God said this is what's going to happen, it's going to happen. We just need to learn to take God by the hand and start walking through each day with God. And then I love this. He says, and, and here's why this should build such security and safety into our lives. Because this hope set before us is through two unchangeable things. The first thing was the oath that God gave. God pledged himself. But the second thing is God's character. It is impossible for God to to lie. God cannot speak falsely. 
God cannot deceive in any way. God cannot misrepresent. God cannot mislead. God can't do that. And so he's saying, you you realize that God's character and God's word are unchangeable. You You and I never have to worry when we wake up one day, I wonder if God still loves me today. I never have to worry about that. Because God says, I love you. And God's not going to wake up someday and go, you know what, Jeff? I know I said I loved you, but I've changed my mind. That's never going to happen. Now, again, that happens with us. We have human beings who say, you know, I'm, I'm your friend or I'm on your side or I'll be by you for the rest of your life or, you know, I'll pledge this or I promise this. But they never follow through. Because again, a promise is only as good as the character of the person that makes it. Anybody can make promises, but it's only those who have the character and integrity to back it up that it really means anything. I mean, let's face it, folks. We're in this whole political season again. I mean, really? That's why most of us are like fed up. Why? Because for years and years and years. People make promises, but it doesn't mean anything. You and I have Jesus Christ, and when Jesus says he's going to do something, he does it. And so I love this. In verse 19... He says, we have this hope then, this this confidence that God's going to do what he said he was going to do as an anchor for the soul. The word anchor literally means to hold one steady by digging in. Do you have that anchor today? Because it's a great picture that the author's giving us. You know, some some Christians' lives are like that boat out there where the seas are raging and the storms are, you know, bashing against it. And man, that ship is just being tossed to and fro and all over the place. And there's no safety, security, stability, or steadiness at all. Because there's no anchor in their life. Because they've let go of the hope that they could have and should have through their relationship with God. But he says, when you and I take a hold of the hand of God and we believe that God will never change and that God is true and that God will be true to his word. This provides a steadiness to our life that no matter what is going on, no matter what waves are raging, no matter what winds are blowing and howling and storms are are going on around us, we are steady through the storm. Because we believe in that God and believe in what God has said. That's the only safety and security. And that's why then he says, this anchor for the soul is sure. The word means unfailing, certain, reliable, safe. And then he uses the word steadfast, which means solid, firm, dependable, or secure. Where's our safety and security? It is when we take refuge in him. Verse 18. Again, I point this out for the sake of our study today. 
The word refuge in verse 18 means safety and security. The words sure and steadfast are uh, in verse uh, 19 are teaching us that the only safety and security is in the sure, steadfast character and word of God. And then I love this. He goes on to say, oh, and by the way, this confidence, this hope that we have in God and in his word, it even reaches behind the curtain into the... And and what he's saying to these Jews is something that they could very much understand, where... The high priest would literally go, be the only one to go through the holy of holy curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, which represented the very presence of God. And what the author is saying is you realize that when you and I take hold of God and we trust in God and we believe in God and we have our confidence in God and we have our hope in God, that this hope reaches right into the very presence of God and that Jesus, when he ascended back to heaven and when you and I trust in him, he takes our very hope and our dreams and all of that. And he takes them with, uh, with him right into the very presence of God with him. And he keeps it secure right there. Because is anything going to disrupt heaven? Is anything going to disrupt Jesus Christ? Is anyone going to overthrow Jesus Christ and upset his plan and purpose for the world? Is anyone going to say, well, God, that was your plan, but here's another plan that's coming? No. And so the author is saying, I know you're ready to give up. I know it's hard. I know many of you are ready to let go of the hand of Jesus and go back. But he's saying to them, as passionately and as clearly as he can, if you let go of God, who are you going to latch on to? Is it going to be better not holding God's hand through the day? Somehow, is that going to make you even feel even more safe and secure and stable and steady? There is no other place to go. The only place of safety and security in this world for any of us is when we as human beings, as the author says in verse 18, take refuge in Because he's really the only refuge. He's the only shelter. He's the only security that we really can ever have. When you and I find our refuge in God, then there's nothing else we need to make ourselves feel safe and secure. But if you and I do not find our refuge in God, then it doesn't matter what we add to our lives and pile up around us to make us feel safe and secure, we never will without God. Apart from God, no human being on this earth can ever feel safe and secure. Will you and I find our refuge in Him? I'm going to ask the worship team to come and prepare This last song that we are singing is really a song of dedication from us to the Lord saying, Lord, I'm, I'm giving you myself. I'm, I'm turning myself over to you. And though in some ways this could be applied to our initial turning our lives over to God, 
I think it's very appropriate here because the way you and I feel safe and secure and stable and steady in this world is only when we say, God, you're the only refuge for me. You and your word is the only thing that is sure and steady and safe and unchangeable in a world that is disintegrating before our eyes. It's crumbling. The world is crumbling because the world long ago said, we don't need you, God. We can do this on our own. And the world is paying a price for walking away from God and saying, God, we can do this without holding your hand. And God is calling out his people saying, look, the world in which you live right now before Jesus comes is a very troubled and turbulent world. And it's not going to get better before Jesus comes. But I do believe that God may have one more spiritual awakening or revival to wake up his own people and to bring other people into the kingdom before Jesus comes. And how that happens is when you and I say, God, I'm done trying to find my safety and security and stability in anything or anyone else other than you. I'm taking refuge in you. Will you do that today? Let's stand as we sing.